Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. This is Places, Please, Places, Please for the top of Act One. Have a great show, everybody. Welcome to Waiting for Places. Hello. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, I'm so thrilled to have you. It is surprisingly difficult to find stage managers in Nebraska, North Dakota, and South Dakota. So thank you. We are a small and mighty group. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's kind of my first question is, tell me your life story. How did you find stage management? Like, where did you grow up? What led you to this moment? Yeah. Um, so I grew up in a pretty small town called Manda, North Dakota. It's right next to the capital. Um, but the high school that I grew up in was pretty small. Um, and I had a really great creative childhood. I had parents who always encouraged us to go outside and play and dress up and um, I remember like going to see ballet shows in Bismarck and um, so that was always really encouraged, encouraging um, and I really appreciated that. So, um, so when I got to high school, I kind of fell in with a bit of a rebellious crowd without being like too rebellious myself, um, but managed to get myself grounded for about two months um, and in that realized that the only way that I could like kind of avoid the grounding and still spend time with my friends was to get involved with our production of Beauty and the Beast at the time. Um, and so I kind of took a position as stage crew there to kind of get through that loophole um, and just immediately fell in love with it. Um, it was just really great seeing my friends kind of create this story that we all kind of grew up with and loved out of, you know, some instruments and some spare, spare cloth and spare materials. Um, and so I just kind of from there, I've kept that in my life. Um, I went into stage management in college um, and kind of, I'll say I kind of struggled a little bit with um, managing stage management and school work and also working. I've always kind of preferred um, learning on the job as opposed to classwork. Um, so I know that like my classes definitely struggled for that, but I also had a really, really great education um, and and from there, kind of just kept freelance stage managing after I graduated in the Fargo area um, until I moved to Minneapolis about two years ago and now have since moved back. So, so I'm here. Yeah. Yeah. And what is it? What is the theater scene in Fargo? Because North Dakota, it's one of the few states I haven't been to, but I've been to South Dakota and it's a lot of Buffalo. Yes. And I feel like North Dakota is maybe not so different. Not so different. We, you know, I have to say from NDSU that we have bison rather than buffalo, of course. Okay, fair. <laughs> um, but it's, I, I love our theater scene here. Um, I think that there's a lot of really great creativity. Um, I think there's a lot of good talent. Um, there's a lot of different ways to be creative on stage here. There's, um, we've got a handful of community theaters. We've got a really good kind of smaller professional theater that always does thought-provoking work. Um, there's a few good uh, dance companies here. Um, I, I oftentimes feel like I'm in a small town because I'll go to a show and I know a couple of cast members or crew members in every, every show that I go to, but I also feel kind of overwhelmed with options when we're not in a pandemic, you know? <laughs> um, so I think it's, it's, it's a thriving scene, it really is. Um, and it's, it's great to, to have spent time in there and I'm excited to get back to it soon, so. And is it all primarily local or are people coming in from all over the country to perform or stage manage really or local. Yeah, really local? So a lot of local, yep. Um, we do get a few a few shows that come through, um, but they've, they've been kind of off my radar, I guess, a little bit more. I get really, really kind of uh, enamored with all of our local work. So um, yeah, we've got, we've got good local venues too and maybe less so for some of the bigger shows that would come through. Um, 
And so I think that might be something that plays a part in that. And are the theater, the physical theaters themselves, are they kind of found spaces or do you have these old Victorian, not Victorian, vaudevillian proscenium um, theaters? um, We have, um, we have, it's not really as much of a um, performance space. There's a few um, musicians that'll come through to the Fargo theater, um, which is still used as a movie theater. now um, it's it's a great space. I've done a dance show there and a few other kind of smaller pieces, but it's not really big enough for like big musicals or bigger plays. Um, but other than that, we do have a few. Um, we have three colleges in the area that all have good theater spaces. Um, I wouldn't say they're the the beautiful old grand theaters, um, but they're they're totally functional and good work is done on them. Um, and then we have a few other uh, community theater spaces as well that are kind of in that same vein. So, yeah. It's I do just have, like big, beautiful, gorgeous proscenium theaters to be in, but we're not too far from Minneapolis either. So, oh yeah. And then what made you? So what drew you? Because you grew up in North Dakota, and then what drew you to Minneapolis? What drew you east, as they say? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I think a lot of it was just wanting to. I kind of wanted to get a little bit more involved in arts administration. Um, I, I know that I need to have the arts in my life in my day to day. And it's 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 really tough living in a smaller town and trying to stage manage full time. Um, I'll be honest, the jobs don't pay enough to <laughs> to do it full time here. Um, and so I needed to find something that I could do as my as my day job, but I still wanted it to be arts related. Um, so after looking for a bit and kind of trying some things out, I realized that most of the jobs that I would want here, my friends already had. Um, and so, um, me and my partner headed, headed out to, uh, Minneapolis to, to take a job there. Um, and from there I went to, it's a regional arts organization called Arts Midwest. Um, we do a lot of, um, funding of creative organizations, lots of professional development work and things like that. Um, and it's great. And I love, love Minneapolis. I think it's a great city. There's obviously tons of artistic opportunity there too. Um, but after the, after the pandemic hit, it made more sense to come back here for, for a while until things calm down again. But I get so torn between Fargo and Minneapolis. They're just both great. Yeah. But why, and I want to hone in on that. You chose Fargo and Minneapolis, both two Northern cities that are not particularly known for their amazing weather. Mm -hmm. Um, it is amazing in that it is cold in the winter. Um, but did you ever, were you ever like, I'm going to go to Miami because at least they have humidity down there or I don't know, um, LA, San Diego, Portland, on either coast, you could pick a Portland. What made you decide to say, no, I'm going to stay in the upper Midwest? Um, I'm one of those people who loves the winter, actually. <laughs> I love our winters. I'm, I melt. I'm a, like a Hershey's chocolate bar in the summer and I can't function. Um, <laughs> um, so the weather never really bothers me too much. Um, but I just, I think I really, really deeply believe in the creativity that's in this area. I believe in the stories that people tell here. Um, it's, it's part of who I am. I can't, I can't even think about leaving really. <laughs> what about those stories feels so ingrained because it seems like those stories seem very tied to the community that you know and love that you're a part of. So is it, cause, but you also said you did Beauty and the Beast, which is, I would say, a very popular right, yeah. global story. So what is it about the stories that feels so connected to where you live? Yeah, I think I think it is kind of that juxtaposition between um, the stories that you expect to hear from the Midwest, which are kind of like crowd pleasers, um, lots of our town being done over and over again, um, which is a great show, right? But it's, I think that there is also um, 
I'm just trying to think of like some specifics. Um, is it the way they're done? Is it because it's the local community that's tied? It's, yeah, it's, is like, it it's, because... the it's the local community and it's, um, so here's a good example. Um, so for example, when I was in uh, college, we did a, a show called Handing Down the Name by Stephen Dietz. Um, and it was about the Germans from Russia. Um, so it's about German people who had been moved to Russia and then moved to primarily um, North Dakota and then Colorado. Um, and so through that play, it, we connected really pretty deeply with uh, the German from Russian population in, in the area, which is huge and like very influential to this area. Um, and then also ended up connecting to some that were down in Colorado. Um, and it's, you know, it's a, I just thought it was a really interesting story that was, that we were able to tell um, and connect with. And, you know, it's, um, sorry. <laughs> no, but it, that tells me so much. I'm from Illinois. So yeah. Mark Twain, if you didn't study Mark Twain yeah. at some point in time in your life, are you from Illinois? I ask you, but it sounds like, like, I didn't know that Germans moved to Russia. I have yeah. no idea what time in history that was. And you're like, well, of course there's a German Russian population. So it, it, it almost, you get to tell the stories that matter to that part of your world that maybe haven't made it into the greater what am I, the greater narrative? Yeah, absolutely. And I think I, you can't really talk about that without, without then also talking about the fact that, um, you know, this is a predominantly white area and like there's, I think it gets kind of labeled as having a lack of diversity. Um, and I think that that in some ways is true, but I also think that's something that is changing. Um, and I think that those are also going to be stories that are going to be incredibly important, especially in the next few years. Um, and I, it'll be interesting to see how, how this community reacts to that and how this community can help support those stories um, and something that I believe in and really would love to help with once I'm, once we're back on stage. <laughs> oh, yeah. Right. Yeah. Is there still a large indigenous community in North Dakota or have they all been moved south? Um, it's not all. <laughs> there We do have um, quite a few uh, reservations in this area. There's a lot of tribal land in this area. Um, um, it's something that growing up we did not get a proper education on um, and it's something that those are also stories that um we need to figure out how to support in better ways and in more authentic ways i think absolutely and i definitely hear that because again growing up in rural illinois it was nine i, I checked the 1990 census it was 93 percent white mm -hmm. but then for me to think about that now i'm like how in the world did rural illinois end up 93 percent white and we didn't talk about it. Yeah. It was not talked about at all. And then to have to grapple with that history. Yeah. Yeah, that's tough. Yep. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So you really, you fell in love with Backstage Crew when you were in high school, started stage managing. And then what was it about arts admin that was appealing? Not yeah. instead of stage management, but maybe in addition to. For sure. Yeah. Um, I think a lot of it is that I really, I love organizing things. I can do it all day. Obviously as a stage manager, I feel like <laughs> it's kind of a, a requirement. Um, but I think one of the things that has been a theme in a lot of the jobs that I've had, a lot of the frustrations that I've seen in the arts is a consistent lack of funding and resources. Um, and so I wanted to better educate myself on how, how to get that funding, how to get those resources. Um, and that's something that I think Arts Midwest does really well. Um, and it's something that I'm, I'm learning as I go um, there um, and, and picking up skills and also being able to kind of present my abilities to them too in, in organization and, and 
one of the things, one of the projects that I'm working on right now is doing a lot of um, kind of like um, amplif not amplifying, but improving our donor database and things like that. Um, and so I know that those are all going to be skills that I can then reintegrate when I'm ready to do something else, whatever that may be. So. Mm -hmm. And you're working in, are you working in arts admin right now? Yeah. Yep. So I started there as a, um, uh, administrative assistant and did that for about a year or two. And I'm now working full-time in the development department, um, which I probably should have said before talking about that. <laughs> oh, um, I just want to say thank you on behalf of everyone who works in production. Thank you for being in the development department. Yeah. <laughs> um, I deeply respect your work because I don't ever want to have to ask people for money, but you're the person that gets us the money so that we can do what we do. Yeah, I think one of the most interesting kind of lessons that I've at least started to learn is that it can feel awkward to ask donors or funders, I think. Um, I think that's kind of an unnatural thing for us to do. Um, but the way that I like to think about it is it's, it's not asking them for money, it is asking them to invest in something that you know that they believe in. So a lot of what I'm trying to get better at and learning more about is connecting people's values with our organizations and connecting another organization's values with ours who could be a potential funder. Um, and so that's something that I really am looking forward to digging more into. I'm going to go a little bit philosophical on you. Yeah, okay. <laughs> uh, because one of my things, I've also been thinking ever since the 2008 recession and I watched my industry just beg for money and I I think my industry, I think our industry is important and I don't think we should have to beg for money. I think what we do is valuable to society and necessary. Theaters mm -hmm. existed since the Greeks and possibly before that, probably before that, right? But it doesn't, we don't seem to want to put our money behind it as a society. And I'm kind of, philosophically, how do we change that perception? How do we make it a thing that society wants to fund? Yeah. <laughs> if you have any brilliant insights. <laughs> I, I don't know if I have any insights. I just, I, I feel so tied to the way that we, um, the way that we devalue students who go into this work, telling them that they're not going to have a real job <laughs> afterwards. Um, I think part of it is that it's something that seems like it's given, like that it's uh, something that is very much taken for granted because arts is so ingrained in all of the things that we do. Um, all of the systems that we use have been designed by somebody. There's graphics involved. Um, we watch an amazing amount of <laughs> content. That's all art um, and it's all readily available. So I think it gets taken for granted and that people should just be able to have it. But that does take a lot of funding and money and it, it's, that's tough. <laughs> yeah, it definitely feels like even during the pandemic, it feels like the arts workers are feeling the brunt because they're not able to create new art but it almost feels like those not involved in the arts industry don't realize there's no art being made because they have Netflix and Hulu and Amazon. How, how many do I subscribe to? Disney right. Plus, HBO Max, right? I have the everything that has ever been created is basically available online. So I certainly haven't been missing performative art. I could no. always go back to my VHS and the, Oscar Hammerstein special from 1992 if I wanted to. That's a good that's a good comfort spot too. It's, yeah. <laughs> right? But I the, I feel like that's been the disconnect personally for me in the last year. And I I'm talking a lot. I should let you talk. Um but that disconnect of like I'm out of work, but
but it doesn't feel like anyone else has noticed because mm -hmm. to them, the art hasn't gone away. Yeah. I don't know if I have much to add to that, but I, right. I agree. Like it's, that seems to be the problem. <laughs> but are, as you're communicating with funders during this time, do they, do they connect with that? Or are they like, what are you talking about? Netflix is still there. Yeah, yeah, no, I think the funders that we have been working with have very much connected with that. Um, it's, I think that there's, I think what I can say is that there's been an, an influx in relief funding that's come through. Um, not enough nearly, you know, for what we're experiencing right now. Um, but there is definitely an interest to help. And so I think it, again, is just kind of connecting those pieces and connecting those people who are able and willing to give to those who need the most right now. That's great. Thank you to those funders. Yes. <laughs> uh, is, do you think the ultimate goal for Fargo is to have, I know they have a thriving art scene, but to have a art scene that supports its arts workers full time? I hope so. I think, <laughs> um, I think that's one of the things that I would love to kind of be able to, when I'm, when I'm ready to go back into working full time in theater, which I would like to do eventually. I think that that is something that I would love to have be a priority. Um, it's, it's just unsustainable for a lot of people to do it full time if you aren't, yeah, if you aren't working in um, a larger city or a, or a academic setting. So, and I think there's also a lot of validity to, you know, having a kind of side gig working for a different community theater or something like that. That's also a very good place to be, but it, it'd be great to to have a little bit more variety of how you can be involved in, in the arts and in theater here. Mm -hmm. Is there a lot of volunteerism or is it just people aren't paid enough? I think it's, yeah, volunteerism by, I, I need to have this thing in my life and you're not paying me, so I'm going to do it. So, okay. <laughs> <yep>. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And then, because you've kind of touched on, uh, it sounds like it's kind of freelance and that people move from production to production. And so not only are you underpaid, but you're also don't really have stability outside of an academic yeah. setting. Yeah, yep. I think that was something that really got me is it's it's nerve wracking to be finding a new job every couple of months. Um, and it's and if you feel like you can't really ever rest. So it's mm -hmm. that's hard on hard on your health. <laughs> Absolutely hard on hard on your health, hard on your relationships, mm -hmm. hard on your bank account. Indeed. Yes. <laughs> mental health. Because <laughs> there's never any insurance tied to it. So. Exactly. I have opinions on that. I will yeah. keep my mouth shut. <laughs> um, but then you do love it so much. So how do you how do you find that work life balance in freelancing and working another job and giving of your heart to this industry? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think you know, the pandemic has been really difficult for a lot of people in a lot of ways. And I think it's shifted the way that we work a lot. And I would not be able to live in Fargo and work part-time doing stage management and also have a full-time job and be happy. <laughs> um, but because I'm able to work remotely and I have a job that's very um, understanding about needing time off and making sure that I'm taking time to go do my arts things, um, that is something that's very much going to be doable for me, which is great. Um, but I don't know, it's, <laughs> um, I think the thing about finding some kind of balance is that we get so tied up in, in loving a show and feeling like we need to put all of ourselves in it, into it to make it the best possible that I think that 
it's really hard to also set up boundaries that says like, you know, rehearsal ends at 1030. I need to be out of here by 1030 um, because I have other things to do. <laughs> um, and so I think I try to support that when I'm a stage manager for, for other cast members by being really, really diligent about managing their time well. Um, and I, I think that's one way that we can support people's mental health is like, don't make people sit in rehearsal for, you know, six weeks for three hours a day. <laughs> um, I've been in productions where that's just the expectation that the whole cast shows up, um, which is just also unsustainable. <laughs> yeah. What you said about boundaries, I 100% agree, especially when we do do this for the love of it. Mm-hmm. We also do it for money, but we do do it for the love of it. Have you been able to create boundaries during COVID or I guess COVID kind of created the boundary for you. COVID kind of created some of the boundaries. (laughs) Um, um, I I did. I I had to, I was in a position where I, I was working way too much. I had a couple like 90 hour weeks in a row. Um, And I, the way that I created my boundaries, which is maybe not suggested is I, I just kind of like force quit. I realized that this was not working. I didn't see a way to make it healthy for myself. And so I just kind of reset, I quit my job, <laughs> I moved. Um, and I approached every next choice with, is this is this healthy for me? Is this something that I need? Um, and that was really hard. Like <laughs> that was very tough to do, um, but I am like way, way better for it. Um, I, I find that I'm able to step back and pick the things that are the most important to me. Um, and I don't feel so tired all the dang time. So. <laughs> yeah, agreed. I'm definitely getting my eight hours of sleep a night during yeah. COVID. Yes. <laughs> right. What I was going to ask, what was the scariest part of quitting your job or was it not scary because it was just the thing you had to do? Yeah, no, it was scary. Um, <laughs> I think the thing that was scary about it is because, um, I tied so much value to my work ethic, um, which is also something that I've, I think is important to kind of separate. Like I am still valuable, even if I'm not producing something. <laughs> um, and I think that realizing that that's what I was doing and that I am not only my job, I'm not only the work that I do. Um, it's a huge part of me, but like that can also shift and change and it should. Um, I think that was the, the biggest fear that I had that I've been kind of grappling with and getting better but it's constant work so absolutely constant work and then once we all come back we kind of have to relearn the lesson all over again yeah unfortunately yeah or fortunately it's a good opportunity (laughs) good opportunity to start putting up those boundaries and yeah yeah I, I um transitioning from boundaries the we see you white American theater demands came out And in those demands are some pretty clear boundaries that they're trying to establish. Um, When we come back, how do you think you're going to be able to incorporate those demands into your life, into your work? Yeah, I think the things that really stick out to me um, about, about the demands are especially transparency. I think that there's a lot of, a lot of ways to say really, really good words and then not back it up. Um, And I think that transparency is a really good tool in keeping people accountable. Um, And about transparency, again, I'm sorry, I keep going back to your development, Mm -hmm. but uh, a budget is sometimes seen as a list of priorities. It is. Yeah, absolutely. Right. And so in terms of what you're raising the money for. Oh, yeah. It's, I think it's always very clear what the funds are going to be used for. Um, 
And I think one of the things that is an interesting question to grapple with is if there's funds available, but they're not necessarily aligned with the values that you have as an organization or as a, as a company, um, are you in a place where you can forgo those funds because it's, it's not actually getting you closer to your goal? Um, and that's a really difficult kind of choice to make, I think. Um, scary and bold and, <laughs> and, and important, I think, so. Absolutely. And it's that age old bind of like, is it better to stick to your principles and not make art or is it better to make art with slightly compromised principles? Yeah. And hopefully, hopefully it's never that stark of a choice. Yeah. Yep. And it's tough to have that conversation in like the same conversation of we need to be paying our artists more, you know? <laughs> so it's, yeah. Is it, uh, when you're talking to donors or funders, are they open to the idea of funding the arts work? Because people say, people say it's always easier to like raise funds for a building because you can put your name on a building mm -hmm. as opposed to raising funds for an actor's salary because you can't necessarily put your name on that. Yeah. Well, so we actually have this program where um, funders will get their names tattooed on the actors who... <laughs> <laughs> Who they fund? But no, um, it's a super weird patron system. Um, um, no, it's a. Uh, it just depends. I think one of the things that you can do is just be very, very open about what your values are and what you're intending to do this for, and attract people with that. Um, um, I don't know if I have a great answer for this one. I. It's okay. I will admit, I do. I do a lot of the back end stuff in our work. So I'm not oftentimes like face-to-face -face with our funders, but I do do some like report writing. Um, it's kind of like after the programs have been done or right. yeah, setting up for that. So yeah. It's, uh, so it's yeah. like your backstage for the donations, just like your yeah, backstage. Yep. <laughs> yep. Do not ever look at me. Don't ever shine a light on me. Just let me do my work for you. Yeah. <laughs> What's your favorite part of being backstage, backstage at a theater? One of the things that I love, if you're in a proscenium space, this is kind of romantic, I suppose, but if you're in a proscenium stage and you're standing at the wing and you can get like a good cross section of like the side that the audience is seeing and then like the side that's backstage where people are scrambling and doing a costume change, um, that I think is just beautiful. <laughs> but um, I think that I get really kind of tied to the, um, like the rush of it, of course, like that, the ability to like problem solve really, really quickly, I think is like borderline addictive. <laughs> um, I also really kind of love being able to see a show from start to start to finish um, and see people make discoveries and choices along the way, um, good or bad. I think that they can be <laughs> really fun to witness. Um, there's like a million things and I'm just not <laughs> naming them all right now, I suppose, but what are you a nerd about? Mm. It doesn't it, have to be theater related. It can just yeah, be like yeah. that thing. <laughs> yeah. Um, I get very, very nerdy about um, like fantasy series and writing. Um, love going to the Ren Fair. <laughs> um, Would you stage manage a Ren Fair? Oh my God. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> kind of a low key goal of mine. Um, <laughs> Um, so no, I just, I, I find that when I start talking about, um, 
any sort of like anything related to like Star Wars or whatever fantasy series I'm reading at the time, if I can connect to somebody about like the characters and and everything that's going on in that world, I I can't stop talking about it and I won't shut up. So <laughs> Well, you you found a kindred spirit. I had a Star Wars wedding. I bonded with someone else. We I watched Farscape at the beginning of this. I don't know if you've seen Farscape. <laughs> no, but I will share. So my partner and I are getting married in June. Um, oh, congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. Um, and we just did our engagement photos this weekend. Um, and we did a little like setup of Han uh, proposing to Leia <laughs> for our pictures. So little Star Wars Legos. So. Oh. <laughs> That's so cute. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, just so you know, people will give you a lot of Star Wars nonsense. We have a Death Star popcorn popper. Oh, that's amazing. Okay. Yeah. It just <laughs> just so you know, people give you things. We have a Death Star cheese board. <laughs> I want these things. This is great. <laughs> <laughs> there are bonuses to getting married. Um, there are other bonuses that do not involve cheese boards. I just want to say that. But it's a it's up there. <laughs> yeah, I mean, husband cheese board. I don't yeah. know which one. Husband holding a cheese board is like the ultimate. Yeah, as long as there's cheese on the cheese board. Mm -hmm. Indeed, yes, <laughs> yes, 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 yes. What is your other? It seems like Star Wars is definitely one of your favorites. Mm -hmm. um, Star Trek. I I am an aspirational Trekkie. I haven't gotten into it yet, so I don't think I can claim that yet. But okay. that's fair. <laughs> Yeah, That's watched fair. a few episodes. I'm not I'm not Star Trek illiterate, but <laughs> not quite as much. So Right. Game of Thrones. Super into Game of Thrones. I uh was working this week and I realized so I like to listen to a lot of fantasy music when I'm like writing and working. And I realized that I cannot listen to Ramin Jawadi because I can't focus anymore and get so excited about hearing like certain tracks from Game of Thrones. So <laughs> so I've had to like put that on pause for a while but mm -hmm. that's yeah, how so. i feel about john williams he's too identifiable yeah yep yeah i hear that you're working and then all of a sudden you're like doing a lightsaber fight in your living room <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh kid you not we had lightsabers at my wedding and so we still have just a bag of them at home and when my husband is working from home every so often he'll just walk out of the office with a lightsaber <laughs> and start dancing with it <laughs> <laughs> there, uh, there are a lot of benefits of working from home and I think that is can be included in that <laughs> <laughs> I'll send you I'll I'll send you some of our lightsabers uh just to get them out of my house oh absolutely <laughs> sorry you just you don't need more than two I just want to say that right <laughs> <laughs> um my last question then is what brings you joy I get a lot of joy from just like very, very simple moments. And I think it brings me back to what I was saying earlier about growing up and being really encouraged to be creative, being encouraged to go outside. I think that all of what we do is just to create really, really beautiful moments. Um, not all of what we do, but for me, that's the thing that gets me doing this over and over again. And it's why I will always come back to it is it's finding certain moments that you connect with, and then you find somebody else who also connects to that because of a different experience you had. And then you talk about those experiences and then you find more. And I, I think that being able to grab somebody with that is, is really, really meaningful. Um, and I think that those moments can come in a really, really good 
sonnet. Um, it sounds very cheesy. <laughs> it sounds very cheesy. Um, a beautiful set, like it's yeah, a good walk with a good friend. Like mm -hmm. this is not coming off very well. But <laughs> no, are you kidding? I I was just thinking about how sunshine. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So we talked about sunshine, and then mentioned that you ran, and then remembered that oh, I wanted to go running this week. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's those little joys. Absolutely. Yeah. It just creates this giant web of connection. And yeah. Yeah. That's so lovely. Well, that's delightful. Thank you, Chelsea. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, the places has been called. Places has been called. Please, everyone, please be ready for the top of Act One. Thank you so much. This was the seventh episode of Waiting for Places, a podcast highlighting stage managers living and working in the central region of the United States. Thank you for listening. Please rate and review this podcast wherever you listen to it. It will help other stage managers find it. Also, make sure to click subscribe so you can get new episodes every Friday through July 9th. This podcast was presented by Ethical Rioting Productions. I am your host, Katrina Herman. This week on Waiting for Places, you heard from Chelsea Brown. The stage manager calling places was John Gruber. This episode was edited by Katrina Herman with graphic design by Nicholas B. Paluha. A huge thank you to Morgan Zupanski, Chris Laporte, and the rest of the Waiting for Places think tank. Fredo Aguilar, Caitlin Boddy, Mary Hungerford, and Jacqueline Saldana. Stand by for the next episode. All right, everyone on headset, we have the house. We have the house. So let's begin. Stand by, auto cue one.